Hey, it's Tony Bruschi. When you're not enjoying the ghost stories here on this show, be sure to check out our true crime podcast called True Crime Today. Search it wherever you download podcasts. Myself, Carol Hughes, Stacy Cole, all discuss the latest in many true crime stories, dark, disturbing, and sometimes just plain crazy. Check it out. True Crime Today. Search and press subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Here's a preview of one of this week's episodes of True Crime Today. True Crime Today. It's one of the most bizarre murder stories in a long time. And we're going to dig deep into it today. The University of Idaho Killings. Welcome to the program. Uh, yeah, this is a very bizarre one that we're going to jump into. By the way, uh, if uh, you like the show, you can get access to our episodes commercial free. Uh, get uh, advanced, the archive, uh, daily briefs, all of that. Uh, just ad free, binge away and try for three days free. Uh, check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts on our channel there. Tony and Carol Hughes with you on today's episode of the program. What's going on? Hey, Tony. Hey. I'm so dumbfounded by this Idaho murders case, as is everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just, it's so horrific. It's so tragic. And there's the information coming out weird. Like, yeah. Is it just the Idaho? I'm assuming it's like the, um, every state has, you know, the IBI, like the Idaho Bureau of Investigations. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's not the regular well, city guys it started, investigating this. It started with the city guys, and the city guys were putting out little to no information, uh, or what they were putting out didn't make any sense. Uh, and then they had to walk back going, uh, and you're talking about a town here of 25,000 uh, people, I believe. Uh, it's not big. It's It's one of those college towns that's a small town that has a small to medium-sized college in it. So there's not a lot of real full-time residents. Uh, and with that, you also don't typically have a very large police force either. Uh, and the last homicide in the city was 2015. So not a lot of CSI investigators on that force or people who just who have experience in it. And it, it's not really their fault. I mean, why would you have that type of person there if you haven't had a homicide since 2015? Uh, but when that happens, you're very ill-equipped to handle a situation that needs that sort of attention as quickly as possible. It's just none of it is making sense. What basically happened is there's uh, four roommates. There was actually six roommates total. Four of the roommates in one night murdered. And with what initially I believe was said something to the effect of a uh, a, a sharp object, <laughs> it was very very um, uh, nondescript, like to the point of like you mean a knife or like a bottle or what? It turns out it was actually like a hunting type knife, those serrated ones that are designed to kill people. Um, so what ex- actually uh, unfolded? Both four of them were killed. Two of them slept through it. Uh, there's records and we're going to go through all of this. We're going to go through the timeline of this case and just try and put dots together, talk about it because there's a lot of people trying to figure out what exactly happened uh, right at this moment in time with this very bizarre murder case. 
Well, uh, go ahead. In preparation for this, and you might have this in front of you, because um, there's a, a, I pulled up a timeline mm-hmm. of what happened. Um, do you have this on your notes about the September 12th on campus? There was a knife threat. Uh, so way before this even happened, um, there was a reported on campus a threat with a knife that a group of students have been walking through the campus when a man threatened them with a knife. So um, they put out an alert okay. to the students. So they felt like that was enough of a threat. They didn't know who it was that they alerted students like they do on campus you yeah. know, when there's some kind of threat. So not saying those two things are connected, but I think that's interesting that a month before this happened, a man threatened students on campus. Did they arrest anybody in that case? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. So they, don't, they have no idea who was doing Mm-mm. that. They said he was described as a white male, 18 to 22 years old, who was dressed in black. No one was harmed, but the officials felt the need to alert students and staff to the threat. And, uh, and then this would happen. I don't know. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But I hadn't heard that till just now. No, I, that's that's not on the timeline that I prepared uh, last night. Uh, but that needs to be added to the timeline. Uh, Interesting. Because and maybe it doesn't have anything to do with it, but I think... Maybe, and maybe it doesn't make any sense right now, but that's a piece of information that you want to mm-hmm. put mm-hmm. down and, um, and, and have. Um, investigators, they're, they're trying to, to develop a timeline because there's so many things that are coming to light. People saying this, people saying that. There's a lot of online chatter. I started following some of these groups that are people that are in that town and kind of, you know, it, it's the, the town gossip, if you will. Um, some of it seemingly makes some sense of things that you haven't seen on television. Some of it, you know, it's it's people just speculating. But this, just so far, is, is, is utterly uh, bizarre. Four victims were U of I seniors. Madison Mogan, who's 21. Uh, Kior uh, Delane and uh, Kaylee Gonclavs of uh, uh, Rathrum. Uh, junior Zena uh, Kernoodle, 20 of Post Falls and a freshman uh, Ethan Chapin, 20, of Mount Vernon, Washington. Uh, three women, Kerndall, Mogan, and Gonclaves, lived at the King Road home with at least two other surviving roommates. Chapin was staying the night with Kernoodle. The Idaho statesman has put together relevant events that have been disclosed so far by Fry, other authorities, family members, and others with reliable information. So we're going to work through the timeline uh, on this one. And it starts uh, November uh, 12th, Saturday, November 12th, around 8 p.m., where uh, Chapin and uh, Kernoodle uh, were dating. They were at a party at the Sigma Chi fraternity on campus Saturday night. Uh, Chapin was a member of Sigma Chi. Uh 10 o'clock to 1.30, Mogan and uh, Gonclaves were at the Corner Club bar in downtown uh, Moscow, which describes itself as a dive sports local bar. 
the ninth threat that you're talking about. You said that happened prior to the 12th or was the 12th? <laughs> September 12th. September 12th. Okay. That's what mm-hmm. I was confused with there. So a whole month before. Yeah. So it's like a month before. month before. Okay. Might not have had anything to do with it, but I think it's yep. interesting to note. Yes. Then we're on to Sunday, November 13th. Uh, police believe two surviving roommates returned home by this time. Both had been out in the Moscow community, but were not together. They not have woken up until late Sunday morning, according to police. 1.40, a Twitch live stream appeared to show Mogan and Gonclaves buying food. A downtown food truck called Grub Wandering Kitchen, also known as Grub Truck. Grub Wandering Kitchen was parked at 318 South Main, about uh, 0.2 miles south of the corner club. Statement uh, on the food truck's uh, Twitter site says, we are heartbroken and sending our love to the family and friends of Kaylee, Madison, Zena, and Ethan. About 1.45 to 2 a.m., Mogan and the Gunclaves used a private party to ride home from the food truck, police said in a Friday evening news release. All four victims were back at the six-bedroom house on Kind Road sometime in the neighborhood of 1.45 a.m. Sunday, according to a map provided by the Moscow Police Department. 2 to 5 a.m., it's when the uh, county coroner, Kathy Maubit, said the homicides occurred. Moscow Mayor Art Bajet previously told the statesman that police told them they believed the deaths were 3 to 4 a.m. Oliva Gonclave's sister of Kaylee Gonclave said in an interview with a TV show, Inside Edition, that her sister and Mogan called a contact named Jack in her phone several times before they died. So who's Jack? I guess would be a question. At 226. Why are they calling him? Yeah, I mean, and it could be nothing. It could be, you know, she likes Jack or there's something there or they're talking to your friends, whatever. People, when you're at that age, you call each other late at night and sometimes you do the over and over yeah. bullshit. That's... So that it, it sounds like a normal thing. I'm just curious. We should know who he is. At 2.26 a.m., Kaylee starts to call Jack. Kaylee calls Jack six times between 2.26 and 2.44. From 2.44 to 2.52, Maddie calls Jack three times. So multiple people are trying to call Jack. That's interesting. Then Kaylee makes a final call to him at 2.52 a.m. Two roommates were home at the time of the killings. Police have said the roommates heard something according to Chapin's mother, Stacy, though she did not get into the details. Idaho police spokesperson Aaron Schnell told ABC News on Thursday that the roommates were being cooperative and may be key to solving the crime. Potentially they are witnesses, potentially they are victims, Schnell said. But he added, we are not focusing just on them. We're focusing on everybody that may be coming and going from the residence. Moscow police received a call about an unconscious person at home on King Road near the University of Idaho. Officers arrived shortly after and found the bodies of the four victims on the second and third floor. University posted an alert on social media that said police were investigating a homicide on King Road. The Post said that the suspect was not known and advised students to stay away from the area and a shelter in place. The school put out a second alert saying police did not believe there was an active threat and a shelter in place 
advisory. It was lifted. At 3.46 that afternoon, the alert warned students to remain vigilant. <coughs> like, that, none of that makes sense. It's like, you're good, but be, be vigilant. It, it, it's just... It's like, like we're it's not like, good. Just, just saying something, something suggested. It's like, we suggest you do this. And that with that second part, it makes it sound like they... Because when I first heard about this, and I'd heard that they were like, there's not an active threat to the community, that insinuates that they know who did it. Or at least they know the reason. Or they thought like, they did. And yeah. it's, you know, Mayberry Police Department... And like, well, we know who did this. So I know, like, it, it's not, don't tell me not to worry. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, because that doesn't make sense. Because four people are dead. There is a threat. Until you have that person in yeah. custody, there is a threat. Unless they're because also... Because if that person yeah. got that mad, could do that to them. He could get that mad and do that to somebody else or she. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they thought it was like a murder suicide or something. And for who knows? I mean, there's a there's many dumb things that could have done or that could have happened to make that that have nothing to do with the actual murder, other than just somebody being dumb. So let's continue on. Uh, at five forty eight, police confirmed the homicides for the first time in a news release, saying this is an ongoing investigation. Information will be updated as soon as next of kin is notified, and we have information that we can share. Moscow Police Department gives our heartfelt condolences to family members, friends of the Moscow community. Then, the next day comes around. At 11.22 a.m., the Moscow Police Department identified four victims and confirmed that all were students of the University of Idaho. The department said in a news release that no one was in custody and repeated that it did not believe there was an ongoing risk to the community. You, I, why can't they just say why? Would that alert somebody? Because I think yeah. if you're afraid you're going to alert somebody, you're alerting somebody just by saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but unless you have that person in custody, and and I'm assuming as you brought up a murder suicide, you know maybe then you. Because that's what makes you think, oh, they either have the person in custody or it's a murder-suicide. Well, I wonder if it was like, okay, the officers, the ones that, you know, handle stolen bikes and uh, <laughs> the ones that, uh, you know, work with the crossing guards and stuff, you know, they showed up and they just kind of made this assumption and they started saying this and it took like a day to get a CSI investigator in from a bigger city or something. Yeah. And then they got there and they're like, this is no murder-suicide, look. I don't know. I'm just I'm yeah, speculating on how the 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 lifetime movie is going to play out. Cuz something like that is going to be in it. Uh This is going to be a Netflix documentary. I can't wait. I should start making it. Moscow mayor Art Bedage called the event a senseless act of violence in a press release. A couple hours later, Idaho State Board of Education president Kurt Liebeck said in a statement that the students were murdered. Around the same time, Idaho football coach Jack Eck spoke about the students and also said they were murdered during a press conference with associate athletic director uh, Jarek Wolcott. Tuesday, 927, Moscow police confirmed in a press release that an edged weapon such as a knife had been used to kill the victims, but the weapon had not been located. 
The departments continued to tell the community that there was no imminent threat. I'm just, I'm, I, my vote is really just going to go for incompetency here and not overthink it with them. I don't, that's the only thing that makes any sense because I just, I mean, obviously we know nothing about this case really when you look at what they've released so far. No, but sometimes the obvious, don't know anything. sometimes the obvious and the gut feeling yeah. usually kind of comes through. But just don't say anything, you know, you could, no one has been apprehended. No one is under arrest. And, you know, they're basically now saying we have no idea who did this. Don't say no imminent threat. That means you have an, uh, something. Right. All you need to say is we're, you don't have to shelter in place if you don't want to. But remain vigilant because no one has been apprehended yet. Exactly. Exactly. It, 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 it shows utter incompetence when you have to pull and, and say suddenly the opposite thing when you may have fucking Freddy Krueger walking around your community and for the last three days you've been saying no threat. Yeah. Uh, 11.15, Ethan's uh, chaplain's mother, Stacy Chapman, told the Idaho statesman that the four victims died in a stabbing. They were stabbed. We got the call. Chapman said, I don't want people to make assumptions about our kids. It wasn't drugs, and it was definitely not some passion thing between these kids. Someone entered the house. Atea County Sheriff's Deputy Scott. I don't know this one. <laughs> Michaela Jiski uh, told the statesman that community members were leaving town as a result of the incident. He said... Uh, that he'd seen students leaving as early as Monday, a week before Thanksgiving break, I would do the fucking same thing. Caitlin uh, Henninga, a senior of U of I, told the statesman that many university professors canceled classes for the rest of the week and postponed homework assignments. 4.30, the FBI confirmed it was assisting Moscow police with the investigation. An Idaho State Police spokesperson confirmed that the FBI had arrived on Monday and the state police have been assisting Moscow police since Sunday. Then we go to Wednesday, November 16th. The county coroner told a television station that preliminary investigations showed the four victims had been stabbed to death. 238. That Wednesday, November 16th, the statesman reported that police were searching for a Rambo-style knife and had visited several Moscow-area stores inquiring about a variety of combat knives. One of the knives police were asking about was a uh, Kabar, which is a military-grade blade. They were specifically asking whether or not they carried Kabar-style knives, which they do not, said Scott Jute, general manager of Moscow Building Supply, in an interview. 4.30, Moscow and state police, along with university officials, held a joint press conference Addressing the media for the first time since the bodies were found on Sunday, Moscow Police Chief James Fry admitted that he probably should have been standing here a day or so ago. Fry also backtracked on the possibility of any ongoing danger, saying he could not confirm that there was no threat to the community and that residents should remain vigilant. A handful of new details emerged during the press conference, including that there was no sign of forced entry into the house and that two other women in the house were home and uninjured. November 17th, 7.35 a.m., Moscow School District Superintendent 
Greg Bailey told the statesman that ISP officers had replaced Moscow Police Department officers patrolling the area to free up Moscow police to work on the investigation. The district announced the news in a Facebook post. The county coroner Mabbitt told the Moscow Daily News that the weapon used would have had to have been a large knife. There was a fair amount of blood. Mabbitt confirmed that the stabbings happened in the early hours of Sunday morning and that DNA samples from clothing, bedding, and nail clippings still needed to be tested in a forensic lab. The report of the autopsies posted to Facebook listed homicide murder as the cause of death. Did you see the disturbing picture of the side of the house? I did not. Uh, there's literally blood dripping down the side, of, like where the siding cuts off to the foundation. There's blood Ew. dripping down the side. There's that much blood that it's soaked uh, down through the subfloors and inched its way out onto the foundation of the house. Like, it is so fucking creepy. I'm just Googling that right now. Like, how do they release that and be like, yeah, no threat? It it, it started a couple days later because I'm assuming the crime scene has just been sitting there and they haven't cleaned it yet. So, it's like that's going to happen, I guess. And did you find it? Uh uh. No, I'm not finding it. I'm seeing a bunch of pictures of the kids. Uh, I'll keep looking. Just search blood on side of house Idaho and then click on images. That's what I did. Blood on side of house Idaho, click images. Oh, oh. There you go. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. That is. I mean, it is something straight out of a horror movie. Oh, that is horrible. It really does look like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. Because how does it blood like there's so much blood that how does it even get there? You know, because there's that much. It's pools of blood. I mean, because you have to assume if somebody's using a knife like that. You're going to hit main arteries pretty easy. So you're going to have people that are literally, you know, it's bleeding out like spraying bleeding out. That's horrific. Hundreds of students, staff members, and Boise residents gathered for a vigil at Boise State University to honor the lives of the victims. Boise State invited students who personally knew the victims to speak. One student read a statement on behalf of the student named Carly, who was said to be a friend of the three female victims. 813 that day, Idaho State Police spokesman Aaron Schnell told the statesman that autopsies on the bodies were complete, but contents of the report would not be released to the public. Friday, November 18th, Moscow Police said in a press release that detectives do not believe the two surviving roommates or a male seen in the food truck surveillance video are involved with the crime. Police said online reports of the victims being tied and gagged are not accurate, adding that autopsy results showed no sign of sexual assault. Moscow Police Department said detectives 
have seized the contents of three dumpsters on King Road to locate potential evidence and have received nearly 500 tips and conducted 38 interviews. Moscow police posted new information on Facebook on Saturday, the 19th. The department said the 911 call came from inside the residence on a cell phone belonging to one of the surviving roommates. Because of the ongoing case, police said they were withholding the identity of the caller. The private party who drove Mogan and Gunclaves has been cleared of suspicion as well. Sunday, the 20th, 3 o'clock, Moscow police held a news conference at the University of Idaho. Law enforcement confirmed some new details. Two bodies were found on the second floor. Two bodies were found on the third floor. Both Gunclaves and Mogan called a male contact and he's not a suspect at this time. Police declined to say who made the 911 call, but they do not believe it was made by the killer. They did confirm that other people who did not live there were at the home at the time of the 911 call. They also declined to say whether they believe one specific victim was targeted over the others. Nothing was found in the three dumpsters that they searched, according to police. No suspect was in custody and no weapon has been found. At 7 o'clock on Sunday, Moscow police released new information on the 911 call. In a Facebook post, police said the surviving roommate summoned friends to the house because they believed one of the victims on the second floor had passed out and was not waking up. Multiple people talked with the 911 dispatcher before the officer arrived. They do not believe any individual who was at the residence when 911 was called was involved in the crime. And that's where, as of the recording of this, the timeline sits. And there's just so many things you don't know. Like, like how many episodes of Dateline have you watched where, you know, the person was in the house and then they ended up doing it? You know, it's just like, I think they would still be in the stage of we can't rule out anyone. I'm, I'm very surprised how they're very quick to clear people on this. And like... And not saying that any of those people no, did it. No, but it's just at like at all. You know, yeah. I mean, there's some who I think would just automatically be like, "You're going to be, you know, until you can completely prove what you were or were not doing." And I'm not in any way saying it was, you know, the uh, the other roommates, but no one else was there in the house at that moment in time that can really vouch for much of any yeah. of this. Because so, what I think is weird is that well, there's something about this case, but that. They call nine one or they call friends over because they can't wake up. So they think someone is passed out and not waking up. And so, did they not go in and look at that person? Or were they just standing outside the door, going, "Hey, wake up, wake Maybe. up, hey, are you in there?" Maybe that happened because how could you have actually gone in to check on that person and not notice they had been stabbed to death before you call nine one one? Yeah. So I think it's kind of weird. That is like a, you're calling yeah. your friends going, hey, Tony won't wake up. If you were well, standing there and you're like just bang, like respecting their privacy but banging on the door going, hey, wake up, wake up, and they still don't wake up, eventually I think I'd go in the room before I in. call 911. Yeah. Well, and then you call your friends over and say, hey, Tony won't wake up. Come over. That's weird. You would call 911 to say, hey, you know, this person drank too much last night or whatever, yeah. not waking up. 
I, I think that's just weird to me. And because had you gone in and checked on that person, you would have known they'd been murdered. Yeah. Considering the the, the way that this is, and unless one was very dis, you know discreet, and maybe it was just one stab wound, and some of the others were much more bloody and more, you know, obvious. That could be a case uh, right there. I would think that even one stab wound that kills you, there would be a significant amount of blood. But here's the way I could see it being. And I don't know how this all was. You have a lot of blankets on you. You're sleeping. Someone just does one quick stab like through your chest. You pull the blade out. And you have fucking messy blankets all on top of you. And if they're, you know, just kind of filled with stuff like college kids normally kind of live you and there's not a lot of blood everywhere you may not notice it until you start looking around going what the fuck is this but i don't know i mean i i just i would think that there would be something more obvious they'd be cold they'd be i don't know there there does seem to be you're right there's a little bit of weirdness there not saying it can't be cleared up yeah you're not seeing what's right in front of you, yeah. maybe, and because you can't wrap your brain around it, because I've never been in that situation, I don't know how I would react. Yeah. But it's just, it is just, it, the whole thing, like, like coming right out and saying they were stabbed with an, they were stabbed with a very large knife. You're all safe. Don't worry. Oh wait, be vigilant. Like, it's just not, it's not making sense. And it's just sad. Uh, the the thing, the other direction you could go with this is that because of the way that the police have been acting in a rather, you know, Mayberry way, it's yeah. either A, because it's Mayberry, or someone is involved over there. Hmm. And I'm not saying that. I think that's highly unlikely. I'm going to hedge my bets on it's just Mayberry police work. Because that well, seems to be the most likely. Yeah, because we and don't the, have any. Yeah. I mean, there's no suspect. It could be anybody. Yeah. So you have to look at it like that. Like, it could be anybody. I agree. I don't know why we're ruling out people that really have no other alibi other than I was sleeping in the other room. And they've said there was multiple people in the house. Like, there was two other people who lived there, I think. Yeah. But who are these other people who were in the house? There was the three who lived there, there was one guest, and there was two others sleeping. Maybe the other people in the house were the people they called over when... (coughs) I don't know. Because I've just read something like there was, you know, it, it kind of sounded to me like um, they'd all been out partying and having fun the night before. And then some people spent the night because that's what you do. Well, there is question about um, it, it's it's known somewhat as a party house on campus. And the way to get into the house is a keypad. And if it's a party house... A probably, lot of people probably lot of people know, that, know that that way to get in and get out. So that opens up a lot more possibilities, too, of, you know, did someone follow people home? Did someone just, you know, did they, you know, just 
go in there and whoever's in there where they targeted I, I don't know i think what we need to look at would be the relationships of everyone around these people um was just one targeted and you know the other ones got in the way and they just got killed as collateral i don't know it, it there there's a lot of bizarre points here that need to be looked at i have no fucking idea i i don't even have an idea i'm i don't know any direction here to say i want to go this way there's a lot of ways i want to look at right. this one my sister just walked in my house hi kathy <laughs> hi kathy tony said hi kathy <laughs> Yeah, I don't, yeah, there's just the whole thing makes no sense. And there's got to be there's more information, obviously, that we don't know about, as is the case in in murders like that. But I what they released is just not making sense. No. It's sad. It's really sad. I'm going to note uh, that me and uh, Sean, who's been on this show and several of our shows uh, over the uh last many a years we are working on putting together a uh, podcast specifically about this case and it's going to be launching later in the week uh across uh, all podcast platforms and i want to give you the name of it because you can search it and hopefully by the time this drops press subscribe on it uh as well i'm going to put out uh, kind of an intro to it and uh, new episodes will be coming out uh weekly on this it's called four the number four killed for what university of idaho murders we'll probably put uh university of idaho murders as the subject for searching but four killed for what uh and we're going to be working and and really dissecting and just focusing on this case as it progresses and the details and um yeah just dive into it a bit maybe we can even get some people on to talk to that are involved and uh but it's gonna be our first foray into a uh, serialized podcast in real time about one specific case so uh do subscribe to that uh four killed for what uh university of idaho murders it will be available wherever you download podcasts so there you go I think that's going to wrap up uh, today's episode of True Crime Today. We greatly appreciate you listening and uh, keeping us on the air. Be sure to press subscribe wherever you download podcasts. You don't miss uh, any of our advanced episodes, the archive, and on Apple Podcasts. Try it uh, for three days free and get yourself hooked up with uh, all of that uh, for for free for three days and uh, help keep us on the air. Until next time, for Carol, I'm Tony. Thanks for listening to True Crime oh. Today. Close your doors and-